Hey folks, another great episode for you today. And today's going to be different because our special guest, Kathleen Vandenberg, zooming in all the way from the thriving metropolis of Whitby, Ontario, <laughs> is someone who's very, very different in a good way. So Kathleen has a lot of experience as a financial planner. And if you've been following me for any time, you know that I tend to bash financial planners in general, but not today because Kathleen is a financial planner who gets it when it comes to real estate investing. And in fact, she was kind of telling me uh, in, in the information she sent ahead of time for today's call that in certain ways, the whole financial planning business is a little bit broken because it doesn't take real estate investing into account. So Kathleen, thanks for being on the show. Great to, great to have you. Thank you. I bash financial planners too. I, I really, really think that traditional financial planning is so broken, so broken. And that's, that is why I was so excited to have you on the call here, Kathleen, because uh, interesting backstory. My big brother, Dan was mm -hmm. a financial planner for 23 years with one of the, him? what's that? Did I disown him? No, he, he, uh, he smartened up, but you know, he, <laughs> uh, he did his best for his clients, yeah. selling them the stuff that he was allowed to sell them. And he finally kind of gave up on the business after he went through his third huge downturn in the market right. where basically, you know, despite his best efforts, most of his clients lost a crap ton of market of, 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 of wealth in the markets, right? With, with what he had That's them when I in. had my epiphany too. Like yeah. when I worked in the corporate world, I was on mutual fund sales. I worked for a variety of different mutual fund companies and insurance companies in the investment side. And it's 2008, the lost decade, like they were, the 10 year returns were zero. Yeah. And it became quite clear that 10, RSP, 10, year, 10 year returns were zero plus there are these little management expenses that snuck yeah. in there. So yeah. they were less than zero. They were negative, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Depending yeah. on the fund, but yeah, around zero. Yeah. And some were negative, but they RSPs, mutual funds aren't even coming close to giving Canadians the retirement that they're expecting and deserve. Yeah. And so when I became a planner myself, I wanted to be very, very different. And if, if you ask people what, you know, what's the best financial decision you've ever made, they're all going to say real estate. They're all going to say real estate. And typically their house, their own personal residence, right? Their, That's their home. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting, Kathleen. Yeah. So, and then personally, it, it's interesting as well, because I lived overseas for a number of years. And when I came back to Canada in 2003, I was trying to figure out what the heck do I want to do when I come back to Canada? So at that time, you know, my brother had been in the business for quite some time. So I actually, I actually took the course, the Canadian securities course to right. become a financial planner. Cause I thought, Hey, well, you know, it seems like my big brother's doing all right. Maybe, maybe I'll try that. Um, first of all, just about bored me to death. I'm sorry. That was, that is pretty stale material there. And then when I got to the whole thing about mutual funds and I, I kind of studied this and, and looked at it and I went, geez, I don't think I would buy these things myself. Like it, it doesn't make sense yep. to me yet that this is what I'm going to be expected to sell everybody else. 
because this is how I make my money as a financial planner. That's when right. I decided not to get into it and and just yeah. And for me, I couldn't ethically promote something I would never invest in myself. Never. Yeah. Um. You know, there was a time when I did. There was a time when I drank the Kool Aid, uh-huh. like like years. But it wasn't until I got into real estate and saw real estate that I. I knew there was a different way and it was better. And then I never turned back. It's been okay. It's well, been so you, really you are still a financial planner, correct, Kathleen? I am still a financial planner. Yeah. So how do you I'm work really, with clients? How, I, how does this work for you? I'm really about building uh, real estate with untaxable wealth, infinite banking, wealth insurance. So I wow. mirror these two. I know we're talking mostly about real estate, but those yeah. are the things that I do. Well, no, I'm, I'm I'm definitely curious as to how you've created a financial planning business for yourself in an industry which just focuses so much on these traditional, you know, mutual funds, GICs. I don't. I don't. That kind of stuff. So. I mean, I have some clients that have RSPs, but no, typically none. Like I don't, it's like, I think my mutual fund assets under management might be less than half a million, right? So yeah. It's not something I want to do. Um, right. I take it you're not working for one of the big financial planning companies. No, so. I'm independent. But I oh. use this this wealth insurance to help clients buy real estate. So if they own real estate, the cash flow can help them buy the insurance, and then the insurance grows and can help them buy more real more estate. Real estate. Okay. So, so your your business is when it comes to the financial planning side of things, your business is uh, providing insurance for your clients. And, and helping you, them get real estate. And helping. Okay. How do you, just out of curiosity, how do you get compensated for helping people buy real estate? Are you a realtor as well? No, no you're just, I'm not compensated. No, but I build overall plans and uh-huh. it's the right thing to do for the client. And there's, I would be compensated on the insurance, but okay. it's not everything you, you know, you have to do what's right for the client. And I'm a big proponent of that. So no, I, I completely and I make, agree with that. Make decent money. I'm happy, and I have real estate myself. I'm not, you know, desperate for the next paycheck so much as I need to sell a mutual fund. <laughs> right, so. right, exactly. No, okay, very, very cool. Now, just in your financial planning business, how have you, how have you gone about promoting yourself? Because it, it's kind of different. It's not the normal thing most people are accustomed to when it comes to financial planners. So how, how do you broach the topic with prospective clients or, or generate business for yourself on that side? Well, I mean, I'm always networking. I belong to a lot of real estate groups with real estate groups. It's a little bit easier, but there's always uh, people within the groups that, you know, want help. And Mm -hmm. I've evolved too, as a real estate investor, right? We started with single family homes and then they no longer cash load. So then we started with duplexes and then we started with doing our own duplex conversions and helping clients do that. We actually have a property management company. That's a way in which I, I would make money actually with real estate with clients. So okay. we help them, we might help them duplex. And and then some te- some clients don't want to be landlords. So mm-hmm. for those, uh, we got into the joint venture business. So we have, I don't know, around 10, 10 joint ventures, uh, duplex duplexes with clients. So, Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's, it's a wide ranging number of services that you can offer folks. And I, I like the fact that you're kind of tapped into the 
real estate investor market. You're showing them how insurance can help them to buy more properties. If they're looking for help managing those properties, if they happen to be in your neck of the woods, you can help them with that. Yeah, it it makes a lot of sense. That's that's smart. So what yeah. did, when did you first discover real estate yourself and when did the big light bulb go off for you? Well, I was working corporately and my company transferred me out to Calgary and then they laid me off. And I'm oh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm snookered. I bought a house in 2006 at the peak. Ooh. And in 2008, I got to go back and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fallen. It's crashing now in Calgary. Yeah. And I said to myself, you know, never again, I wanted to be independent. So mm-hmm. uh, if a company, I didn't want to have a, you know, a job, a job that I would be dependent. So I wanted to have my own business. And that's when I became a licensed uh, uh, financial planner. Mm-hmm. And I'd had my uh, CFP beforehand, but I just wasn't a practicing financial planner. Yeah. And I, you know, we could not sell our house in Calgary for love or money. It was on the market for over nine months. And we were living, I'm 40 years old, I think at this time, I'm living at, um, in my parents' basement. Oh my God. And I'm wow. not sure who's going to die first, my husband or my father, because they're fighting, right? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm in the middle. So the only thing we could do was we bought this triplex and we lived in one of the units and it saved us. And I'm like, this is great because I can start my own business. I have cash flow and it's, it just sort of culminated from there. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope there was a silver lining or or things didn't turn out too badly for you with that Calgary property. No, they became best friends. (laughs) No, and, and yeah, yeah. Father and your, and your husband. Yeah, yeah, that would be important. How about the Calgary property? How did that one end up? Well, we ended up, we ended up selling it after nine months and we, we took a hit on it, maybe Mm. like 40,000 in the scheme of things. One of the things that we ended up having to do was we sold out, um, our entire RSPs to get funds because we had to buy something when we hadn't sold. Yeah. And it happened to be right before the crash. So we were now, you know, out of the stock market before the crash. That was lucky. Oh, and yeah. and we just saw like the cash flow that came from properties and the appreciation. And we wanted to have a business. And I just feel like real estate is a good business to be able to start. I mean, really, you don't need that much money to start a business compared to other businesses. I once attended a session on someone that had spent millions doing a, um, a trampoline park, for example, oh, God. and the risk. Yeah. So a lot of businesses would have a lot more risk than real estate. And when you buy a single family home or a duplex, it can, it, you know, in a pinch, it can be sold. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and especially like what you're doing, getting into small multis and duplexes mm-hmm. and triplexes and that kind of stuff. It, it lowers your risk a little bit there. You got a solid tangible asset that's backing you up. And there's always a need for housing, especially these days. Supply and demand is definitely in the investor's favor, that's for sure. So um maybe, maybe Kathleen, just out of curiosity, big picture, big broad strokes, walk me through how the whole using insurance to buy real estate thing can work. Sure. So we had properties and we had cash flow from properties and we would fund our insurance policies and insurance policy, the ones that we buy, the way that we structure them, they're actually a lot like a house. So you have a death benefit, which is like the value of your house. And the death benefit is constantly 
rising over time as you pay the premiums. And then there's something in these, these policies called cash surrender value or cash, cash value. And so that's like a line of credit. So you can leverage these policies. So we have borrowed three times against our policies to buy properties as the down payment. And then what we did was we financed it through the bank traditionally. So we 100% finance these properties, which as you know, makes the return infinite. That's why it's often called infinite banking. We've also used it for renovation. So if we do a duplex conversion, we would borrow against the policy. We would do our work and then we would go back to the bank and refinance it because we might have started with a three bedroom bungalow and we end up with a five bedroom legal duplex or accessory dwelling unit. Mm -hmm. And then we can put the money back on. Um, another time we sold a condo when my, my in-laws passed away. A condo wasn't really what something that we wanted in our portfolio. So we sold the condo and we needed a safe place to store our money. So we put that money back on the insurance policies. And most recently with these mortgage rates, we're really suffering cash flow wise, right? As mm -hmm. a lot of people are. We were actually able to borrow against the policy and pay off a mortgage. And the, what's really interesting is that when you borrow against the policy, you don't have to pay the interest on it in the loan if you don't want. Mm -hmm. If you do, it can be tax deductible. Um, but if you don't, it's fine. And so now we made these properties cash flow. So it mitigates risk. So, and of course, um, you know, when you pass away, it's a, it's a tax-free death benefit that can offset capital gains. So we've used it to fund private loans. If you're into private lending um, and yeah, I mean, it's your money and you can access, it, it doesn't hit your credit score. It, you don't need an application. Maybe, so maybe, maybe you can walk me through this. So let's use an example, a fictitious example. So let's say I own, I'm the proud owner of a duplex. It's worth $550,000. Mm -hmm. Let's say God knows where, but let's say that's, <laughs> that's the value. And let's say I've got um, $150,000 of equity in that property. I don't have any insurance products like this at the moment. How would you set me up and what would that look like? What, what should I do? We would um, put an insurance policy in place and design it. it. It really depends on the individual, right? So some people mm -hmm. have more of an insurance need. Some people have more of an insurance want. So with real estate investors, what we typically do, we, we want to make sure there's enough insurance in place, but we overfund the policy. So we're stuffing a bunch of money into it that we can always access it, right? So so if what kind of a policy would you recommend that I get in this case, for example? It's always a whole life policy mm -hmm. and it always has additional deposit option and it mm -hmm. would typically have a lot of flexibility in it. And the amount of the whole life policy would be give or take what what kind of amount? Oh, it totally depends. It depends on your age and how much you, insurance you want, how much you want to overfund it. So if I told you something, I'm going to scare you. Okay. But uh, yeah. we, we put $65,000 a year in our policies Okay. and you might be thinking, oh my God, that's way too much. Like that's a huge cost, but it's not a cost because at this point when we've had them a while and because we're overfunding them, we don't have the obligation to put 65, but we can put 65 now and we could probably take out a hundred each year. So because it's growing by more than we're putting in, mm -hmm. you know, the beauty of, of an infinite banking policy and the beauty of real estate is that you have this asset that's growing over time, right? And 
it's exponential the growth. If you think about, you know, what you bought it at and as it, you know, if it goes on through inflation. Now, if you take an investment property and you refinance it, you pull out 100,000 or you take your insurance policy and you pull out 100,000, you haven't stopped the compound growth. When you have a tax-free savings account or an RSP and you pull out that money, you've stopped the compound growth. Right. So we want our clients to be in financial instruments and the two best are real estate and these infinite banking policies, these wealth insurance policies that don't stop the compound growth, but give you liquidity and access and control to your money. Very good. No, that makes a lot of sense. What, what have been some of your biggest learning experiences around real estate investing since you bought that first triplex, you kind of stumbled onto that house hack idea back in the day. Well, we really regret the ones we've sold. Yeah. That's, we always regret the ones we sold. Um, also, like the, the tax bomb when you sell a property is massive. I feel like you either need to own the property for two years and sell or own it for 30 because when you sell in 10 years, right, you like the tax bill is just massive. If mm-hmm. you don't like the tax bill on RSPs, you're not, you're going to even hate more of the tax bills on real estate. <laughs> so I feel like when you buy a property, you should really buy it for the long term or, or the short term if you want it just a, a smaller period of time. But then you're taking like too much of a risk, I think, in terms of it will it appreciate or not. Yeah. And then and I've learned a lot of lessons in the last year as have a lot of us, I just could, I just cannot believe how much these interest rates have risen and the impact of, of leveraging and the, the disappearance of cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and as people are in different phases of their life too, right? So if I l- look at like a couple that's 30, I don't mind them being with good jobs leveraged because they have time on their side. But as you enter pre-retirement or retirement, cash flow becomes king, right? And you want to mm-hmm. live off of that income or you want to create uh, create income. So then you want to have less leverage. So that's last the last year, I think we've all learned a lot of lessons on leveraging and interest rates. For so sure. moving ahead, what do you plan on doing differently, if anything, Kathleen? With your own real well, estate we, investing portfolio. Yeah. Um, well, this is very personal, so I'm not sure that this, what I'm going to say is applicable to everyone, but we want to focus more on cash flow, right? Because we want to enter kind of that pre-retirement phase. I still love what I do. I just still also want to vacation and ski and cottage, um, (laughs) and real estate gives us that freedom, right? So, but I still want to, I love real estate and I love like the insurance practice too. So, and I, and this is, I kind of regret getting into so many joint ventures because I okay. didn't realize how much work it would be. And I'm probably, you know, I was given a piece of advice, you know, like charge for your property management and don't put funds in. And I was trying to build that up. So I didn't always uh, perfect that, but now I'm mirrored in a lot of property management 
And it's hard to hire that out uh, when there's no cash flow. And because I didn't start with that rule. So, and it's a tough time to get out of it. So you really have to think long and hard if joint ventures is the way that you want to go. It was a natural for me because I had people that needed my help. Mm -hmm. And so, and I've, we've created a lot of wealth from it, but yeah. So it's it's, it's great when the times are good, not so great when cash there's a cash flow crunch. Right. Right. So are you, are you thinking perhaps of liquidating some of those consolidating kind of having fewer properties tr- with a lot more equity in them? What, what do you Yeah. Thoughts? We've recently tried to sell three properties, but it's been too, it's been tough. Right. And how much lower do I want to go? Mm. So I'm actually re uh, re looking at refinancing instead. And we're also trying to move uh, up to Collingwood, which is a, a ski town in Ontario. So um, that's sort of one of our goals too. So, but yeah, we would like to have less properties, but have greater cash flow from them. That's the phase that we're 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 at and what we want to do. But it's this economy is proven it's proven tougher to do. Yeah. Definitely proven tougher to do, but. It's fine. It'll it'll all get done. It, it'll it'll all work out. That's one yeah. thing. One benefits of of age and and living through a few cycles. You you see that yeah. this too shall change and end and and all that kind of stuff. Um, interesting that you're moving into ski country. I'll just share share an interesting insight I had from another guest a few months ago. Yeah. And this gentleman has a very interesting strategy in that he purchases purpose-built short-term rental properties. Yep. yep. He's focusing on Canmore, Alberta, which you're very familiar with. You used yes, to live in Calgary. Yes. Um, I'm sure Collingwood would be kind of similar to that. Mountains might not be quite as big, but there's it's it's kind of a ski destination place. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um it's a little bit tougher though, because Collingwood has some rules against short-term rentals. Mm. Um, um, and then there's Blue Mountain, which has a lot of restrictions because they compete with the, it's not Interwest now, I forget the name of the company, but is it Vail? I, I forget. Okay. Um, they're their own in-house yeah. so rentals it's and, and timeshares. Yeah, I think it's an amazing strategy for Canmore. Yeah. And I think it's an amazing strategy if it hadn't been for the rules. So, uh, mm. but we, but speaking of that, we've actually pivoted a little bit to midterm rentals so yeah yeah, because the you know the landlord tenant the the landlord tenant act in in ontario is very punitive if things go sideways and i think in this economy there's definitely a a chance of things getting kind of worse before they get better Mm -hmm. Uh, people are on tough times right now so and i feel like uh, they've been instructed that the first thing you do is stop paying your rent so um, so that but, you can avoid that with the midterm rentals? Is that what I mean? Well, with midterm, you can't completely avoid it, but you attract people that might be there for a four-month job posting or right. for the ski season or the golf season or a student that's on a on a work term. Um, so, or uh, yes, you can definitely rent for the season, like the ski season. Uh, we actually rented for the summer season. We had someone coming from Vancouver. They were from uh, Collingwood, but they wanted to come back for the summer. So um, that mitigates it a bit, and nice. yeah, and they're furnished. Plus, plus yeah. it helps with the cash flow, right? Because they're furnished, yes. so you get much higher than yes. normal rent for those kind of properties. 
Wonderful, Kathleen. Well, hey, you know what? Thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your insights, sharing your experience, especially from a financial planning standpoint. I my want pleasure, to my pleasure. I want to tip my hat to you and commend you for being a financial planner who gets it and and not encouraging people to invest in mutual funds and all the normal stuff that most other financial planners recommend and instead getting them going with the right insurance products and helping them with their their real estate journey at the same time and and making it a win-win. Yes, I love it. I love it. We can talk nice. about real estate all day long. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.